Amen. Bless these musicians, this worship team. Woo! Man, I don't know where you'd even go get any better than that this morning. I'm telling you. I'm serious. That was, that's what me and Ron were talking about. Man, they were singing that first song about God's good like they believed it. <laughs> I mean, they were... I love it when they come out of the gate wide open, just smoke the tires. Let's go. That's wonderful. Uh, I started feeling all Pentecostal. I didn't know what was going to happen there for a while. It's kind of a good scared, you know, you don't know. It was wonderful, though. I, I appreciate the, our worship team and just because they do believe it. I, 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 I really do believe that they believe what they're singing about and they're not entertaining and and all that stuff. So, amen. All right, I'm going to let you be seated. Glory. Um, yesterday uh, morning, I, I went to uh, watch my youngest granddaughter in her dance recital. And uh, again, I was reminded in visual form uh, how the, their acceptance by their parents, their grandparents, has nothing to do with their performance. And that was made vividly clear to me yesterday. Uh, and I didn't see any, especially those younger ones like my granddaughter, I didn't see any of those just nail it. You know what I'm saying? Like perfect form. Uh, some of them, the younger they were, the more out of sync they were, and one's turning left, one's turning right. And, but, but when my granddaughter, she danced in three dances, when she, every time she came out, of course I'm anticipating her coming out, I'm looking through the program, you know, when's Addie coming out, when does she dance again? And man, when she come out, I just locked on her. And she, to me, I could just eat her up. She's the cutest little old thing I've ever seen in my life. And, and, uh, and you know, and she really, she, she didn't nail it. I mean, as far as, you know, of course, I blame it on the instructors, probably not working with them enough. <laughs> But my, my point is, and, and I watch parents and grandparents and, and, and whatever all sitting around us, and they were the same way, and they were ecstatic. You could figure out who their kid was almost uh, by how they uh, focused and responded, or, or I could look and see their iPhones, you know, who they were focusing on, uh, you know. They told us when it started, you know, switch off your devices, nobody could use their phones. Good luck with that, you know. Them grandparents and parents ain't obeying that rule. But my point is, last week I talked about, you know, finally accepting that we are accepted. And that's really a hard pill for religious people to swallow because they want to do something to be accepted. They want to say the prayer. They want to attend the right church or be with the right group or, or perform in such a way that somehow they think God will accept them. And our acceptance by God, you know, God, I'm not better than God. And I can't even describe how much I love my, 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 all my kids and my grandkids. And, and, uh, and then like in my, you know, like just focusing on her because she was the one in the dance yesterday. And if you can receive this, you know, I'm in her and she's in me. Now genetically I'm in her because I'm her mama's father, my daughter, Right? And then I, she's now uh, growing to the point that I can see a lot. I can see some of me in her. J just, just aspects, facets. 
She likes salt on her watermelon like her poppy does. She loves salt. And I know it's not good for you, but it's good for, it's good for me. <laughs> and for Addie. And I see a lot of her ways. I see her, some of her likes, some of her functions, some of her... In me. And, I, and I see, and I see uh, Jill as well, and I see her mom and, and dad and all that. And so I don't mean it's exclusive. So in Addie and how she is, she can't fully represent me, but she does represent facets of me because I'm in her and she's in me. Now I'm talking to you today about in Christ, and I'm going to talk to you about it today in a way that I've never talked to you about it before. And, and, you know, I heard somebody last week they actually posted something, you know, and said they were, they were just kind of putting out a warning like these people love to do. And they said, you know, uh, you know God's good and all that, but you don't, want to get in, you don't want to get on his bad side because if you don't believe in him, you're going to have trouble down the track, they said. Uh, how ridiculous. First off, uh, God doesn't have a bad side. Not at all. First uh, John says that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Uh, God doesn't have some love. God is love. And so there, there is no, no bad side to, to God. Um, you've hung around church. You've read the Bible, uh, particularly the book of Acts. You know uh, the story, or at least you've heard about, the conversion of this one called Saul that we now know better today as Paul. An apostle. And, and in fact, it's recorded three different times in Scripture, in Acts, which is very unusual for that, you know, an event like that to be uh, written about in three different chapters of that one book. But apparently the Holy Spirit really wants us to focus and get that, that dramatic conversion of this religious man who was known as Saul, who's ferociously and and uh, 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 full of hate, attacking and killing Christians, those who name the name of, of Jesus. And um, in, 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 in that occurrence of that, what, what Paul described it as, he said he encountered a great light. Now, God is never violent, in, no matter what you think. God didn't slap him off his horse or whatever it was like you hear uh, preachers talk about, but the light overshadowed him and rendered him blind physically. Uh, he did fall off whatever he was riding on. It didn't say he was on a horse. He could have been on a BMW. I don't know what he was on. But whatever it was, he hit the ground. And in that moment, you got to understand that he never physically saw Jesus, but he's seeing him now in a vision. And, and, uh, and Jesus says to him in this vision, to Saul, he, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, a lot of us have just read over that, and we missed a great, great revelation that, that, that dramatically changed the Apostle Paul's religious view and worldview in that moment. Now, he said, why are you persecuting me? But he wasn't persecuting Jesus physically. He was persecuting Christians. But Jesus draws an equivalence between those people and him. And this is where the revelation comes, if you can, because Jesus is in them. 
And when he was persecuting them, he was persecuting Jesus. It's not just because Jesus loved those people. He says, why are you persecuting me? It's because Jesus is in those people. He's in those people. He he says, why are you persecuting me? And and to which Saul answers and says, who are you? And Jesus responds, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So twice Jesus enunciates that you're persecuting me. Why could he say it that way? How would he draw that that equivocal uh, uh, that I'm in them and they're because he's in he's in those people, and and Paul didn't understand that up to this point. Now now that that revelation right there changed everything for him, and, and in fact he he was so narrow minded. In other words, he was into Judaism, and and he was in what he considered to be. Just that, you know, that God only accepted this little group of people and, and you got to believe like we believe and you got to see God like we see it and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and, I'm, and I, you may get weary of me giving this example, but I referred last Sunday to how that, that my, you know, Aiden, who is 10, and Addie, who is 7, drew pictures of me some months ago. And they each wanted to draw me. And they drew me and presented the pictures, of both, which I have in my desk drawer. Now, if I brought the pictures to you and held them up, but I didn't do that because you couldn't see them, you know, whatever. But if I held them up and I would say, you know, I would say, does that look like me? You would probably go, no. Not th- now that I see you and then I see that, it really doesn't look like you. But in their view, it looks like me. Now, what I want you to think about, don't think about two kids drawing a picture of their poppy. What I want you to do right above that, if you can do this without getting offended here, just give me a little space. But above each picture, you could write Baptist, one, you know, one time. Or you could, and then you come over to another picture, and you could write Methodist. Or, or you can erase them. Or then you could write Pentecostal. Or you could write, go on another, you could write Catholic. We, we, we are deluded to think that any of us or any group of people could know what God is fully like. It's, it's one of the most arrogant things. So, but, but there's times with a lot of people, a lot of denominations, they think they know exactly what God's like and they got him boxed into their religion. And they say, this is what God is and, 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 and this is God and, and you got to see him just like we see. No, we, we don't see him like you see him. Because you, you drew him with crayons and you, view, you drew him from your limited perspective and knowledge of him. Now, that's why the Old Testament said nobody ever seen God. Nobody. Nobody has ever. Moses didn't see God. Noah didn't see God. Abraham didn't see God. Isaac didn't see God. Jacob didn't see God. David didn't see God. None of them see God. The Bible says no man. They hadn't seen God. No man ever saw God until Jesus came. And then when they saw Jesus... Jesus said, you've seen God. They said, show us the Father. Show us God. Jesus said, you're looking at him. God's not different than me, Jesus was saying. God's exactly like me. God has always been exactly like me. I am he, he is me. We are one. This encounter, this conversion that the Apostle Paul uh, happened to him, it, it, it so changed his 
uh, perspective that he changed his name. You hear people say God changed his name. God never changed his name. The, the word Saul is Hebrew. That's, let's say it like this. That was Saul's Jewish name. So when, that, when he had that encounter on the Damascus Road, it so radically transformed his worldview that he did not want to be limited to a group of people, even if they were Jewish, of which he was. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He, he's, he, he's a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he said of himself. But yet now, after this encounter, he said, I can't have that worldview anymore. So he changed his name to, 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 to the Latin version of the same name, Paul. So he, in other words, he's using what before would have been almost offensive. He, he wore the name Saul with, with pride. He was probably named after King Saul. But, but now he changed and he uses, if you will, the Gentile form so that he may have a worldview, not just a Jewish view of this God. And, and so in, in this conversion, listen to me, that Paul's, this recorded three times in Acts, in this, in this conversion of Paul, what we see here is we see a person move from what they thought they knew to what this new revelation that they now recognize. Now that is really common to all of us, should be. It sure is with me. There, are, there was a time in my life that I thought I knew what I knew about God, about the Bible, about eschatology, the future, how all this is going to end. I thought I, I mean, I had it, I could, I could draw it out because I was parroting and echoing what I've seen other men say and do. But now I am much older. And I don't, I've not arrived, but I have left that station. And I see God, God is so much bigger than I thought he was. Now, science tries to tell us, like Romans 1 says, nature itself is trying to tell you about God. We just don't get it. One thing that's been common for the last 10 years is they, they got all these super-duper powerful telescopes now, and, and, and every time that they build a more stronger one that can see farther, what do they see? They see a universe that is without measure, and they see a universe that is continually expanding. What, what happens when you get religious? You narrow everything. But when you really come into revelation of who God is, it will expand you. It will not narrow you. So Paul thought he knew, but he realized he didn't. He got a revelation. He changed, it changed everything with him. It changed his whole, how he saw people. It's, it changed how he saw everybody. Before, he's killing these people. And he didn't care who they was, Jew or Gentile. If they said they followed Jesus, you're a dead man far as he's concerned. Because he had a very narrowed, religious violent view of how you make people toe the line. It, it, Paul's deal was no different or, or no less amazing than Jacob's in Genesis 28 where Jacob you know, laid his head on a, on a rock and, and had a vision and he saw a ladder set up on the earth and he saw angels ascending and descending and this is what he said. He said, he said the Lord's here. He said, and this is none other than the gate of heaven and I did not know it. In other words, Jacob said, I discovered what was here the whole time, but I just didn't know it. See, there's something that you don't, that a lot of people don't know. 
Some even consider it heresy. But God, Jesus Christ is in every human on this planet. And that's what the Bible teaches. But we have all, most all, in this room, been lied to. It was a startling revelation when I first saw it about 20 years ago. And I've been serving and preaching for many years. And I believed in the life separation. That we were separated from God because we're dirty, rotten sinners. God can't look at sin. It's ridiculous. And of course, just a casual read of Scripture, see that God hangs out with sinners. And have we, not, have we forgotten that Jesus is God, Emmanuel, in the flesh? And they, he hung with sinners. It says it in your Bible. That blows that up. He eats with sinners. The Bible says he receives sinners. That's why the Pharisees got ticked off with him. So there's God hanging out with sinners. I guess that deal is a lie that God can't look at sinners because he hangs out and eats with them. See how quiet it is in our Presbyterian church this morning? I love the Presbyterians. Don't send me an email. Uh, Paul, when he tried to relay what happened to him to the Galatians, in Galatians 1 and 6, Paul said that, that when it pleased the Lord who separated me from my mother's womb to reveal Christ, not to me. You hear me say this often because I want you to get it. Not to me. He said he revealed Christ in me. Paul said, I didn't know that Jesus was in me. He's like Jacob. The Lord was here. I didn't know it. I, I didn't know it. Because religion told him otherwise. And, and, and he said that God revealed Christ uh, in me. That Christ was really in, in me the whole time. And, and, and listen to this. Paul, listen, Paul's criteria for authentic faith is to recognize that Jesus is in you. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 and 6. Listen to what it says. Now, Paul says, now a lot of people read this like some kind of warning or some crazy stuff. Paul said to examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Okay, now what does that look like? Paul said, test yourselves. Prove it, in other words. He's not like prove it. It's like authenticate. It's like the word prove there is the word authenticate, and it's like an art specialist or whatever, uh, you know, authenticates a painting as being authentic and true and, and not a forgery. You follow me? So when Paul says test or prove it, he's saying authenticate the reality of this. And, and he said, do you not know yourself that Jesus Christ is in you? He said, don't you know that? In other words, hadn't I preached enough that you would know that Jesus is in you unless you are disqualified? Now, a lot of people want to quit reading right there, and then they want to try to come up with some religious to say, well, there's qualified and disqualified. Listen, Christ is in you. And then he, Paul says in the next verse, but I trust that you know that we are not disqualified. Why are you not disqualified? Because Christ is in you. And he's the hope of glory. Now he's in you whether you want him in there or not. And the Bible's clear that if he was not ever in you, you would cease to exist. All things live, move, have their being in him. If you outside of him, you ain't living, you ain't moving, you ain't being. I want to tell you this. Paul said that's an authentic Christian that sees that Christ is in him. Examine yourself. He doesn't tell you examine yourself looking for sin. He's telling you examine yourself looking for Jesus. Because God must reveal himself in you before he can fully reveal himself to you. I want to say that again. God must reveal himself in you before he can ever fully reveal himself to you.
Now you go to Acts 17, verse 23. All right, give a little Bible here this morning. Now Paul is at Mars Hill. He is in Athens. He, he is with all the heathens. The, the Jew, the, in other words, the heathens, the mythology, all that stuff. This is, who, this is where he's at. Okay? He is in the world of heathens. And he says he goes up on this hill and he sees a, a statue with an inscription on it to the unknown God. And so in verse 17, chapter 17, verse 23, he says, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. Paul said, you're worshiping him. You're calling him Zeus. But Zeus ain't real. Zeus don't exist except in your imagination. Now, Zeus has thunderbolts in his hand, and he smites you when you do wrong. And you have to appease him. The God of Molech is not real, but he's real to people that were burning their babies in the fire to appease that God. There's all kind of people where they try to appease God. We don't ever have to appease our God. He said in verse 26, and he made from one blood every ethnos. That's what the word nation is, ethnos, where we derive the word ethnic or race. If we could read this one verse and believe it, it would change all kind of race problems, all kind of world problems. You, you, you wouldn't go road rage on nobody. Because that's your brother. Just, he, just, he just don't know how to drive good yet. He has made from one blood. I don't care what color your skin is, your blood's the same color. Ain't nobody got green blood. Even if you're from Mars, your blood's red. He has made from one blood every ethnos, every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. And he has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Where, if he's not far, where is he? Next verse. For in him, everybody say in him. In him we live. So if you ain't in him, you ain't living. And I don't mean some kind of, oh, you're not really living life to the... I ain't talking about that kind of living. I'm talking about you ain't existing. For in him we live and move and have our being. You cease being if you're not in him. In him we live, move, and have our... Now, he's, he's, he ain't writing this to Christians, what you would call Christians. He's saying this to heathen Greek people that's got an altar to an unknown God. And he's telling these people that, that Christ is in you. You're, he's in you because in him you live, move, and have your being. As also one of your own prophets have said, for we are also his offspring. We are his children. He just told them that they're children of God. They ain't prayed the prayer, went to the Jewish synagogue. They ain't went to church. They ain't done nothing. And he said, you're God's kids. It's amazing. Therefore, verse 29, since we are the offspring... If, if I stood here and I said, this person is my offspring, what would that mean to you? Would that be my kid? Justin, you back there, buddy. That, see, look, that big old drummer that was on the drum, that's my son. He's my offspring. He sprung off from me, as Ernest T. Bass said. If you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. <laughs> he is my offspring. Paul told those people, you're, my, you're God's offspring. You don't know it, 
It don't even matter if you believe it. It don't change it. You're not enjoying it if you don't believe it. You're not benefiting from it. But it doesn't change the fact you're still his offspring. He said, therefore, we are the offspring of God. We ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art or man's devising. In other words, God said, you ain't none of y'all can get your crayons and draw a picture that will explain and show who God really is. Because ain't none of you that smart. Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. Again, Paul writing, and this is what he says. Colossians 3, 11. He says, there is no Jew, no Greek, circumcised nor uncircumcised, it's got to do with religion, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in what? All. Y'all need me to explain what all means in the Greek or the Hebrew or the Spanish? It means all. And you is the all. And the Bible right there says that Christ is in all. In Christ, listen to this, this is the title of the message, in Christ is used by the Apostle Paul, listen, 164 times he uses that phrase in his letters, in his epistles. 164 times, and he uses that phrase more than any other phrase in all of his letters. Paul wanted us to get it, and we still don't get it. Paul wanted, listen, he, Paul wanted us to know that humanity has never been separated from God except in our own minds. We are all in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 through 7. This is what Paul says to the church at Ephesus. He says, just as he chose us, where? In him. Say it out so we get this. In him. Where am I? In him. Where are you? In him. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. So that precedes your prayer. That precedes your birth. That precedes your coming to the revelation. So whether you know it or not, believe it or not, this was before the foundation of the world that He's in you. Well, I understand that. Well, you're not God. So just let your brain rest. Don't try to be. Paul said he chose you in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love. How's that going to happen? Only through Jesus. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, not according to your good performance of your desires or your religion or none of that. To the praise of the glory of his grace, not to the praise of the glory of your service, not to the praise of the glory of your performance. Not to the praise of the glory of your religion, but to the grace, praise of the glory of His grace by which He has made, not will one day if you say the right prayer, but He has made us accepted in the Beloved, capital B, that's Jesus. In Him, say it with me, in Him, we have, not will have, not hope to have, not will pray to have, one day over yonder in the glory land, by and by after a while, with grandma and mama and them and all. In Him, we have, past tense, redemption. Why, how does that redemption come? Through His blood. What did that do? It gave us the forgiveness of sins. According to what? Our prayer, our confession, our crying, our repenting? No. According to the riches of His grace. For by grace you have been saved, not of works. 
Verse 10, same chapter, Ephesians 1. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. Both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. Not will obtain it, have obtained an inheritance. Being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. Now listen to this. In Him you also trusted. Well, when did they trust? After you heard the word of truth. What is the word of truth? The gospel of your salvation. In other words, Jesus has already done it without your participation. It's just up you'd believe it now and enjoy it. In whom also, having believed... You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now let me say this to you. In this Bible, there are over 100 different names of God. 100 different names. Over 100. And I, you know, I, I could spend hours just going through the names of God. In the beginning... Elohim is what it says in Hebrew, which is the plural name, plurality of God. It literally reads, in the beginning, gods. Gods. We, we don't have three gods. We have one God, but he is manifested in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the beginning, gods created heaven and earth. That's why you read on down. He said, let us make man in our image. God's not going schizo there. He's, the Trinity is at work. And so, and then we go along, and, I, and then he reveals his name from Elohim. He, he starts using the name Adonai. And then from there, he uses the name which the Jews say uh, is unpronounceable because it's just four letters, Yahweh. Yahweh. In an orthodox, conservative Jewish community, they don't say the name Yahweh. They don't print it. They'll put the Y and they'll put the dash. And if you're reading it and you're, you're Jewish, you know that they're just out of reverence. And they say that the name of God, even Elohim, I'm saying it like I can pronounce it, but it is really unpronounceable, that name. Because it's Elohim with, with some spit on the mic kind of deal. Hawk, you know. Elohim, you know. So I don't have that thick Hebraic tongue to, to do it properly. Justice. Why all the names of God? Why not just tell me one? You know, Moses said, who, when I go there, who do I tell them sent me? God said, just tell them I am. The I am sent you. I am. I thought your name was Adonai. I thought your name was Elohim. I thought your name was Yahweh. I thought your name was Jehovah. I thought your name was Nisi. I thought your name, you know, and, and it just goes on and on and on. Because there's not one name that can reveal God. And how dare you think that your denomination can reveal him? Because he predates and precedes and transcends your denomination. <laughs> Amen? He, he, he does. And, and so, so the, the, what's God saying? God is saying, I'm not going to let you control me. You're not going to control me. See, if I, if I give you control over me, 
which God's not going to do, then, let me say it like this, controlling people control people. And that's religion's primary goal. See, we've long known, because we got the scriptures, that, that death is no barrier to God anymore. Jesus conquered it. And in the Orthodox tradition and in the Orthodox churches and with the, with the Apostles' Creed and the Creed of Nicaea and the Apostles' Creed and all these early fathers from the first century church who wrote down what John saw and what, what Jesus meant and what his apostles believed, they all, in many of those Orthodox churches, every Sunday they quote these uh, apostolic creeds or either sing them, and what it says is that Jesus conquered death through death. But we don't talk about that, particularly in the Western church, American church. We don't, we don't, even, know, we don't even have a paradigm for it. We don't even think about it. We don't even think of those terms. Because we've, we've made up stuff. Let me say this to you. And it is, in the book of Acts, which is the church on wheels, I mean, it's right after Pentecost. I mean, they're out and about. Uh, number one, it never says that God crucified his son, that God's doing anything like that to appease uh, his desire for blood or retribution. Actually, in the first sermon that was preached in Acts was preached by a guy named Peter, and Peter says, y'all killed the Lord. That's what he said. Y'all killed him. You murdered him. That's what he said. You murdered the Lord. Y'all did it. But you did it in ignorance, and the Lord forgives you. If God was ever going to be that vengeful God that's going to punish people forever and get them and be vengeful with no redemptive purpose, he would have showed out big time when they were trying to kill his son on the cross. But how did Jesus respond? Now, Jesus just wanted them to know, I could call, and my father would send legions of angels to deliver me from this situation. But he will not, and I will not, because I am he. God was in Christ reconciling the sin of the world, not counting men's trespasses against them. So how did God respond to the murderous, violent torture and killing of his son? He forgave. He, he, he destroyed it in a way that the, the works of darkness Satan never saw. They, they never saw it. And, and so in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5, Ephesians for this last one I'll give you. Ephesians 4 and 5, Paul says this, it's so good. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of how many? Of all. Who is above what? All. And through all. And in you all. That's what Paul said. That's what the Bible says. You mean he's in all? I'm telling you, he's in all. The guy that's strung out laying in his floor in his own vomit right now at the house because he can't even know he's alive, God's in him. It is my job to awaken him to that great good news that Christ is in you and that's your hope of glory, brother. Get out of that hog pen. And God will reveal Christ in him. And when God reveals Christ in him, then God can begin to reveal Christ to him. That is so good. I'm going to read it again just because I want to. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, 
and Father of all. See, this agrees with Ephesians, uh, Acts 17. Father of all, who is above all. He's above your denomination. He's above your little small sect of people and beliefs. And through all and in you all. He's in you all. Man, that changes everything. He's in, when, when, he's in you all. So what I was saying, in all the, the preaching of Acts, now listen to this. I challenge you to do this. In all the preaching in Acts, I don't care if it's, been preached, if it's being preached by one person or a group of people. It don't matter if it's Stephen. It don't matter if it's one of the apostles. It don't matter who it is. It don't matter if it's... Listen, I want you to, uh, if you want a real good study, go through the whole book of Acts and, and look at those sermons that those apostles preached. And I want you to write down what is common in all those sermons. And I want you to write down what is never in any of those sermons. And I want to go ahead and give you the punchline on that one. What's not in any of those sermons, there is no threats. Hell is not mentioned. Or the fear of death is not used in any preaching in the entirety of the apostle in Acts or all the epistles. Paul never mentions it, hell or, or any of that stuff one time. Not one time. What is wrong with that man? Because that's not the truth. If it was, Paul would have preached it. See, the church has known this, but they don't want to, they don't want to acquiesce to it because it removes their leverage of their religion. They need leverage to keep you in line and to keep you giving and to keep you attending and to keep you doing your religious duty. And they threaten you. And they threaten you with the very thing that Jesus conquered. Death and hell. And so they use the fear of death. Oh, you better. You, they use that as leverage to, to, to scare you into something that's not in the Scriptures. And in fact, the very total, total opposite of that is in the Scriptures. And this is another message for another day, but it is totally First Peter. He, I've told you before, First Peter, it says that Jesus went into Hades, went into hell. Went into hell. And most time the word hell, almost every time you see the word translated in English hell, it don't mean fiery, none of that. It's grave. It's, it's the grave. And Jesus went in there and he preached to those that were disobedient in the days of the flood. He evangelized them, Peter said. He preached the good news to those people that were held captive. What were they held captive? By death. By Hades. He said it was a thing that tormented men all these years. But Jesus delivered us from that. And now death is not a place that holds men. It's a place that just transcends us into that glorified position. And we don't fear death anymore. There's nothing to be feared. But if you don't know this and you're still sitting in church and you're getting threatened by death with the preacher, then you, you fear death. The Apostle Paul said that death can't separate you from the love of God in Romans 8. He's clear on that. The Bible says Jesus' version of this. He says when, that Jesus, he, he led captivity captive. That's what Paul said in Ephesians. That Jesus led captive. He, he, he led a parade of people that had been held captive. He led them out. Some people say, well, that was just for those people, just for that time. And God, oh, so his mercy is not everlasting. So his mercy cuts off at the grave. Is that what you're saying? I thought his mercy endures forever. I thought his kindness is everlasting. I, 
I didn't think there was no limit to it. But in your religion, you know, you got a limit. You got a line in the sand. I believe, you know, if you ever read John 17, Jesus' prayer, he said that they all may be one, that we all may be one in him. I just kind of got the suspicion that Jesus is going to get what he prayed for. Whether your, your church likes it, whether your religion likes it, or whether your own little limited, slice, little sliver of belief that you think you know, you accept it. And why you want to get mad at a guy like me that just simply not, not coming in here with no big doctrine, but I just am filled with hope that it's going to be far better or gooder than I ever dreamed. And that God is bigger than your religion and your little box you got him in, and, and it's just bigger. And so Jesus said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I, I'm going to, ram, I'm going to storm, the, I'm going to bind the strong man, ramsack his house, and spoil his goods. That's what Jesus said he was going to do. Jesus did that when he went to the cross. Because if, if, Jesus, if, if Jesus came to, to, to defeat death as God, he couldn't have done that because God can't die. You can't kill God. God's unkillable. Oh, so, so how is God going to take it on himself to defeat death if he can't die? God says, I'll become a man. He didn't cease to be God, but he, but he became man. He's called Jesus. And as Jesus, he entered into death. And he died. And he walked right in to Hades. And he, he bound the strong man. Who is the strong man? Satan. What is his house? Death. Hades. Hell. What is his goods? The people that were held captive. And Paul said in Ephesians, he said, you know what he did? He went in there, he bound that strong man, he ransacked his house, and he took all them goods as his kids. He took them out of there, and he led a parade out of that place. That's what Jesus did. Now, my only just thought is that if he loved those people, that, and, and he wouldn't be impunitive in the flood. God wasn't saying, I'm mad at the world, I'm going to kill all y'all. God's not a killer. God said the world is not inhabitable any longer for human existence. That's what it says. The Bible says when God made everything, he said it is very good. It, literally, the Hebrew is, it, is the, the earth was, was inhabitable. It was a good place for humans to live. But in Noah's day, he said God saw and it was not good. And what it says in the Hebrew is the earth was no longer inhabitable in a safe place for humans to live. And God said, I'll have to give it a bath, a baptism to save it. And I will save as many that wants to be saved. And I'm going to have this guy preach for 100, over 100 years, and he's got a lot of time to build a lot of boats. Just don't have many people want to get on board. They mocked, ridiculed, didn't believe it. Floods came. God's not being vengeful. God's not being retributive. God's not being punishing. God's saving the world. It broke his heart. It grieved him, he said, that he had made man. It broke Papa's heart. God didn't like seeing them people drown. He didn't like that at all. But he said, you know what? Don't end here for y'all. I'm going to send my son. He's going to go into death. and He's going to rescue you. And he's going to come himself and where you've been held.
He's going to evangelize you. And he's going to give you news so good you ain't going to believe it. It's going to be too good to believe good news. He's going to preach to you the good news. And you're going to have an opportunity. You won't be forced, coerced, threatened. But you, 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 can, you can follow him out if you want to. It's hard for my mind to imagine anybody after hearing Jesus come into Hades to get them saying, nah, I'm going to stay here. Now, if your brain works like that, you go on and work it. Mine don't. I believe every one of them came out gladly. <laughs> we go with you. That's why every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. And it says that every knee is going to bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And if you think he's going to put a spear on them to make them say that, you don't know him. Why would they do that? Because when we see him, we shall see him as he is. We won't see no Baptist Jesus, no Catholic Jesus, no Jewish Jesus. We won't see any kind of religious Jesus. We will see Jesus as light and love. And you will not reject that. I cannot imagine a person rejecting that. My heart is so filled with hope. And my God that I serve now and pray to and talk to and live in and he in me is so much bigger and greater. And I am so sorry that I ever had him sliced up in a little slice of religion. What if ain't that true? Well, it ain't going to change my destination. But I believe it gives hope to a lot of people. My thought is, why go down there and preach to them Noah people, man? What about all these other people that die? Ain't they worth something too? Don't he love them just as much? If he didn't cut it off for them, why cut it off for these? If they got another chance, why don't everybody else get one? Oh, see now, see, there goes your leverage. Once you remove the threat of death and hell and you take your leverage, you ain't got nothing to beat them with no more. You got to stop your carrots and your stick sermons. It's all carrots, baby. Ain't no stick in this. Some of y'all don't, if you're in the business world, you know what I mean by carrots and sticks. You do bad, you get the stick. You do good, we get the carrot. God's nothing at all, ever, about control. That's why it's such a foolish statement here, Christian. God's in control. Love don't control. How can it be love if it controls? If I control my wife and I control what she does, I control her, I don't, I'm not loving her. She, she, ain't a woman in here saying, I want a man to control me. I want to be controlled. No, you don't. You don't want to be controlled. You don't want to be controlled. Because why? Love don't control. Love don't coerce. Love don't threaten. That's not love then. Hey, I want, I want to propose you. I want to give you an invitation to be my bride. I'm the Messiah. I'm the bridegroom. I wanted you to be my wife. And I want, you know, and I'll give you an invitation. And if you'll say yes, I'll love on you. And I'll be everything to you. And I'll be on there and all this stuff. But now, wait a minute now. But now, if you tell me no... I'm going to throw you in a dungeon and I'm going to burn you forever just because you told me no. Choose wisely. But hey, worship me because I'm love. You see how stupid that is? No wonder people don't want to serve a God like that. Nobody, anybody want to serve a God like that? Nobody, the world, most of the world, they're not, they're not going to serve a God like that. Loving anything means giving up control. 
To love anything is to give up control. I told one time, well, you know, my, my little dog loves me. Really? Yeah, he liked the dog food I feed. He loved me to death. My dog, he did love me to death. That's because you got him on that leash. And then when you ain't got him on the leash, you got him in the pen. Cut that leash off. Open that prison door you call a pen. Let's see if he loves you. You open that pen, all you see is that dog behind running down the road looking for a better life. <laughs> I don't guess he did love me. No, I don't guess he did. Because love don't control. Love don't hem people in. God is the most uncontrolling. And every day, God submits to our choices, whether he likes them or not. He submits to your free will and your freedom. But one day, every human will have a freed, F-R-E-E-D, will. Right now, my will, even as a believer, is flawed. I have made some stupid decisions in my life. Nobody say amen, please. But I have made some poor choices. I've made some bad decisions, even as a believer. I did them with good intentions, many of them, but I made really poor decisions for which I am sorry. So my will is flawed today. Not my spirit. My spirit's perfect because God has perfected my spirit. That's what Hebrews says. But my soul, mind, will, and emotion, it, it, it needs, it's still getting some work done. Right? Everybody in here, your mind and will. So the part of you that's not perfect, it, your spirit got, it is, but your soul is not. That's where you, your emotions, your, that's where you've been hurt. That's where, you've been, that's where the abuse is lodged and all that stuff. So I, I'm still, that's where you know, it's being worked on. Renewing of the mind. Um, so when is that going? Is your soul, let me ask you this. I, I got to quit. Is your soul going to heaven? Or just your spirit? I love y'all, but yet like you don't know that. I'm, I'm never, I, listen, I'm never trying to trick you. And I'm never trying to be no religious smarty britches up here. I'm trying to be a father who, Helps his kids see how good Papa is. Your soul's going with you because it is you. That's what gives you your personality. That's what gives you your personality. When I get to heaven, I'm going to say, what's up, Ken? <laughs> what's up, man? Man, you're moving good, too, man. Physically, I mean, I remember when Ken, I was sitting there watching him out of my periphery. He was, he was just going for it, worshiping God. And I, he's, he's bowing and bending and praising. And, and I was looking over. I'm trying not to look on Ken. I'm looking over Ivory. And Ivory got that leg going like that. And, and, and I look over and Cindy's got that flag. Just, she just, just beating the air. And Katrina had the flag on this side. She's a one. Glory to God. So y'all don't know how y'all bless me. And I was saying, thank you, God, that you're helping Ken to physically overcome where there was a time he had come in here with a walker and all the surgeries and stuff he had to go through. And I'm so glad, Father, that he's, he's down front there and he's worshiping you and he's moving. And I just started just speaking more healing to his body. And, you know, and I could have got away with it in my Pentecost day, but there was a few times right there this morning, I just, I probably, I don't know. I'm just human. Man, but I, 
I, you know, it felt like it was about lap time in here, about time to take a lap, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know? And then, you know, I'm too fleshly bound. I am. What would they think? I don't want to draw attention to myself. One time they were singing so good. Uh, is Demisha in the ranch? Well, yeah, you are, darling. Y'all were doing so good. I one time I want to take my shoes off, just throw them on the stage. <laughs> See, some of y'all don't know what that means. What does that mean if I took my shoes off? Ain't nothing religion. What if I throw my shoes on here? What would that mean? That means that means y'all singing. That means y'all are singing up a storm. I started to do that day. I just felt myself. Well, I'm going to get this shoe. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to throw them up there. <laughs> if you're listen, if your soul is going to go with you, to what? before the Lord, then when it arrives, it's still going to need some work. Huh? And, and your soul that's been flawed needs to be totally freed. How's that going to happen? Well, Paul said when you come before the Lord, he said all the wood, hay, and stubble is going to be burned out of your life. Now what's in you, the silver and gold is going to be purified, and the wood, hay, and stubble is going to go, and you will be saved as of by fire. Hebrew says that fire is not hellfire, it's God. God is a consuming fire. The prophets prophesied in the old covenant that he will sit as a refiner of fire and a purifier of gold and silver. And God's judgment is appointed unto men to die after death of judgment. God's judgment is never punitive, retributive, but it is restorative. God's wrath to you is never against you. It's always for you. And when you stand before God, you're going to pass through that fire, which is Him. And He's going to burn out all that wood, hay, and stubble. And all those hurts is still bound up in your soul. Because your soul don't go no instant perfect just because you breathed your last. And you're going to go through that fire. And God says, that's not of love's kind. He burns it out. That's wood. That's hay. That's stubble. Purified gold and silver come forth. Enter into the joys of the Lord that He has prepared for those that love Him. That's, that's it, man. The God we serve is a cosmic Christ. He is bigger than our little limited view. I hope what today at least expands your view of His goodness. I believe He's going to get what He prayed for. And I believe even if your church don't like it, you just going to have to lump it, I guess. But that'll get burned out when you see him as he is. And everybody in here, you got hope. Got hope for them kids. Got hope for people that you love. Got hope for people that, that they told you, you know, people quote stupid, as a tree falleth, there shall it lie. What does that mean? That's like, a, does a tree fall in the woods? Does it make a noise? I mean, it's stupid. That don't have anything to do with nothing that you're saying. The preachers used to quote that all the time when I grew up in the Pentecost church. And they was using death as a threat. And they was using it as an incentive to try to get you to make a decision for Jesus. The gospel is not you make a decision and Jesus comes into your life the gospel is that Jesus, God made a decision about you, and he's already come into your life. 
And your decision now is just to awaken to the truth that Christ is in you. He's the hope of glory. Stand with me. Everybody still happy? Yes. Filled with hope? Yes. You notice you don't ever get beat up here. If you get lifted up, I believe it. I'm not dogmatic. Well, that, by God, that's the way it's going to be. I'm, you don't hear that out of me. I'm on a journey. I'm learning and loving. I'd be fine if I'd just stay out of the book. And if I just stayed with religion, but I, I, no. My relationship with him has outrun my knowledge of him, my heart for, and his heart for me. My experience now has, my theology, let me say it this way, is trying to catch up with my experience. My theology is under renovation. I'm like Paul. I had a real limited view of who Papa was, but a great light has shone. And Paul described it like scales fell off his eyes. And that's what's happened to me. Religious scales have fallen off. A man named Ananias, which is grace, put his hands on my blind religious eyes. And now I see. And now I don't want to kill people. And now Catholics are not my enemy and Baptists are not my enemy and this one's not my enemy and, and it's not that we're in and you're out and I'm in and you're out and, and, and none of that. When I see people on the street, that's why I told you, if you stare at them long enough, that homeless person will become a human being. And if you stare at them a little longer, you'll see Jesus in them. And you can go over like Paul did and says, you're worshiping what you don't understand. I want to tell you that you're one of God's kids. He's in you, always has been. He's for you. He loves you. Awaken to that truth. And when God becomes real in them, then He will become real to them. And their life will change. Father, I love you. And I thank you for loving us. The only reason I love you is because John told us we love you because you first loved us. Papa, I didn't do nothing to make you love me. I can't do anything to make you love me more because your love is infinite, perfect, relentless. I can't do anything to make you love me less because your love's not based on me, it's based on you, who is love. And so I pray today that that revelation of the love of God that is higher than high, wider than wide, deeper than deep, surpasses knowledge that the revelation of that will come into every person that hears this message and that their hearts would be awakened to the truth that Christ is in them and he is the hope of glory. He is for all, through all, above all, and in all. May they see it, may they believe it, and enjoy the fruit of that faith in Jesus. Amen. Love you guys. Go enjoy your day. God bless you.